You're listening to another Ember Weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we're going to talk about uh, some of the stuff uh, that got merged in uh, right before last the release of last episode. Uh, I worked uh, with with you on live coding uh, some some of the initial state that we, we actually talked about it last, last week, about how we're using Ember CLI Mirage. Uh, we're going to use it in production. And we are now. And it turned out to be an excellent solution. I think we're still running into a couple of bugs that uh, we're going to work around some issues. But... Uh, in the process of doing that, uh, when when we started moving things over, we ended up uh, kind of interacting with page objects a little bit more. And uh, page objects uh, are kind of a it's like a principle. Um, I want to say Martin Fowler wrote a, wrote a wrote a blog post on this, and it describes like how you want to interact. Basically, your test shouldn't uh, shouldn't really know a whole lot about um, about the DOM. And page objects are a really great abstraction. And uh, Ember, I think it's Ember CLI page objects, provide this really excellent interface. And I was blown away. I, I, we've, we'd messed with this um, quite a bit with Emberjax and uh, the cast repo. Uh, and we were obviously introduced to this um, by Mike North at uh, Wicked Good Ember. And it's really exciting uh, to start using it more, more in depth. Uh, I'm going to start pulling it into uh, my production Ember app very soon, probably, probably this upcoming week. And uh, one of the things that was most interesting to me was the way it was doing item scoping for a page object collection. Have you gotten to mess with that at all, Chase? Yeah, yeah. For cast, we uh, we use that. Like the, the way you define basically lists of things, and then you know you can index into them is is uh, pretty convenient. Yeah, I really like the interface for that. Um, being able to artif- like especially in in uh, collaboration with Ember CLI Mirage, where you'll say, uh, for instance, in Ember Weekend, we say generate a couple of episodes. And then, uh, you know, go to a random one and assert that, you know, the text is set correctly in the right place. And the abstraction there is just wonderful. We're able to say, you know, page, uh, page dot uh, episodes dot, or no, uh, paren one, and that'll give us the individual item. And it scopes it for you. Like, all you have to do is set an item scope. And then from there, you can say, uh, give me the anchor inside of that. And we're going to call that the, uh, the timestamp or something. Uh, give me an anchor with a with a class of timestamp. I really like the interface here. I like how simple it makes the tests uh, seem. There's no like weird find queries or I'm not doing you know colon contains or anything like that. So I really enjoy this abstraction. Yeah, I'm working on a project right now that's a it's got a relatively new Ember app uh, as you know part of it, and I haven't pulled in page objects, so I'm dealing with the the whole like I have to know all the class names all the way down to each of the lists and it makes my tests really verbose and I, and I, I tried to extract out you know some reusability in these tests and uh, it just it ends up like you you always end up extracting it wrong and uh, and you go oh crap this is a special case you know like I've got to deal with this now and page objects is just a way to just you go into the project you know how you're gonna you know extract this stuff but still have your test be readable um, because that's that's the whole point of the test they should read like a story you don't want to like um, extract them out to the point where there is not obvious what's going on in each test. Right. Um, so it's it's a very good way to, to maintain readability, but still get some kind of reusability and, and remove some of the noise. So there were a couple RFCs uh, submitted by Tomdale, um, and one that we wanted to uh, note was the router service uh, RFC. They talk about a lot of the changes that we've been talking about when it comes to component integration tests, where the router is kind of this magical API that just exists in some places that you have a transition to or transition to route, and you just have to know which one's available. And this is an RFC that makes that router act like a service that you can inject, and you have a defined you have a defined API to deal with anywhere uh, in a uniform way. 
So it's very understandable for a component to need to uh, transition the state of your app to a different route. So, um, so this is a really nice way for you to get access to the service and, uh, and kind of formalize some of the concepts that basically everyone's already trying to use and Ember is using internally. Uh, so I think it's a it's a really cool change. The the one thing that's uh, notable is that the transition object has to change. Basically, just formalizing some of the some of the APIs or the patterns that have already been uh, kind of adopted to uh, to handle some of these cases, uh, and just kind of giving you a transition plan to migrate from using some of the private APIs to get some behavior that you need to using a this formal uh, formalized um, public API. I don't know. I'm pretty excited about this one. Uh, personally, I've been using the router service occasionally, so it's pretty good. Yeah, this is one of those uh, one of those cases where it was a sneaky little API that I didn't realize uh, caused me so much headache um, until until this RFC was brought up, and then I was like, yeah, you know, why why can't I get an active URL from anywhere? Why can't I just say is if this is the active thing? Right. You know. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really glad this is coming out. Um, I I hope it'll. Uh, kind of make integration testing components work a little easier. Um, I know there was there was actually a question up about um, actually testing the routes that your components are generating. Like you're, you're really wanting to know that they're the right URL, not just because ever since component integration tests, you've been able to you test components that have link tos, but they would just be blank. Right. Um, and um, which we've, uh, we've brought up a few times in the show. So, right. And it well, well, and uh, someone specifically said, well, what if I actually want to test the links? Um, and I put up a, you know, a really messy kind of like way to get that to happen. Um, and then Robert Jackson came in and basically made the, the internals of that, like a one liner. And it, so now you can actually test, you can actually load your apps router and, um, and test your actual routes. And this test helper was actually using some private APIs, but when this router, um, becomes kind of public, um, I don't think it'll have to use any private APIs. Jeff Atwood, uh, posted a an item on Discourse called The State of JavaScript on Android in 2015 is Poor. Uh, and like its title, it kind of describes some of the state, uh, or describes the state of Android uh, JavaScript execution. Uh, and, and it's not good, uh, basically, is the long and short of it. And I think that they are, at Discourse, they are looking for ways to uh, make Ember work well on um, on devices that basically are stuck in 2012. So iOS has been keeping pace. It has to do with uh, how they deal with uh, execution on uh, multi-cores. So Android devices have been using lower grade CPUs, but just maxing out the number of cores. I'm probably oversimplifying this. I'm not, I'm not exactly a hardware expert. Um, and Android, uh, Android doesn't really care so much about the single core performance, which harms JavaScript pretty, pretty significantly. Whereas iOS has been pushing single core performance, um, which you know means that uh, you know you end up with some pretty great response times. I think the uh, the metrics that were put up in this article were basically like one of the fastest Android devices can render their benchmark at 400 milliseconds, and uh, and that is like two times two times slower than uh, an iPhone. F- 4s i think is what it was but i'm not i'm not 100 certain on that but the the difference was super stark and basically uh, you end up with some some problems with rendering things like discourse especially with infinite scrolling so uh, this is a big concern and uh, the reason we bring it up is because uh, it's basically to to start thinking about how how architecturally you could uh, get more performance out of out of the data down actions up style of rendering and i think that uh, they mentioned it uh, the comment thread is very long uh, but several times they mention uh, doing a different style of architecture 
uh, with data downs actioned up, actions up instead of using observers and, and other things have, has really helped increase performance in certain places. And some of it's just Android's going to suck in certain certain cases. So Tom Dale uh, asked if um, if there could be a way to put a discourse for Android devices into permanent fastboot whenever fastboot comes around, which, you know, there's there's priorities here. So this is still a long-term solution. Uh, but permanent fastboot would basically be like just do all of the rendering in fastboot and see if and see if you know that would would help if that's if that's something that would would work. So basically, do all the rendering server side and just be sending you know HTML to Android clients. I don't know, uh, Chase. Have you have you looked at this at all? Like this this stuff looks uh, it's pretty it's pretty heavy. And Discourse is such a big uh, supporter of Ember uh, since since the early days. Uh, I'd really like to you know. Get people looking at this and see if there's ways that we can help. Oh yeah, I, I saw this a few days ago and read through it. Um, I saw uh, Steph made some comments that you know there may be some internal things, uh, kind of in the build that that they could do to 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 make it better. But at the same time, it's just you know uh, iOS is probably just gonna have better JavaScript performance, so it, there's not much you can do. Right. Have you given any consideration to permanent fastboot? I thought about that when when we were dabbling with fastboot. I don't know. It was like episode 12 or 13 we we ended up getting fastboot running on a heroku instance for ember weekend uh, and and I, I started thinking like if you got everything rendering and you didn't rely on you know jquery or, or dom manipulations uh, anywhere you could theoretically get away with some simple websites um like a forum would actually be a really good example because uh if you hit fastboot, you just end up following links and stuff, and that's all things that can be rendered. Yeah, but I mean, it would be dangerous to just assume that you can render the entire page static with zero JavaScript running. Um, there's there's going to be some element, something that needs to run in JavaScript. Like sure. um, if you have um, e- even a forum, if you have something like skim links or something that's parsing the the content so that when somebody you know clicks something on your page, you get some affiliate commission. Um, you, some JavaScript's going to have to run, so. Uh, you're you're gonna have to serve the page in a way that allow you know that that you have some scripts that are gonna load in, but some scripts are not going to. Some some scripts like all the Ember vendor stuff is probably gonna be um, that's gonna be pre-computed, but then you're gonna also like throw in some dynamic stuff. So it's 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 probably not gonna be a drop-in replacement. You're probably gonna have to like configure your your app to behave that way. So this morning I saw a talk uh, by Tom Dale uh, from Full Stack Fest uh, 2015. And it was, I mean, really awesome. It was all about uh, Glimmer and like the internals. It was the the kind of, it was the most like technically complicated talk I've seen on Glimmer. Um, a lot of times you just see a lot of block diagrams without any real description of how it works. Um, and this was just uh, really just got down to like the core of it and, and it explained a lot of the reasoning behind why things were done. Um, and so it's, it's a really great talk. Uh, you should go check it out. It's on, it's on YouTube. Um, it's it's a it's actually like a forty minute talk, so it's really it gets really in depth. Yeah, I really enjoyed watching this this morning. So I think the the main takeaway I had with it, um, I've been uh, kind of in my spare time uh, doing a little bit of React and um, just trying to trying to understand some of the some of the design concepts in React uh, because uh, I think I think there's there's some there's a lo- obviously there's a lot of value there. And in my in my effort, you know, this the continual stumbling block for me is uh, JSX. Every time I I try to dive into React, it's not it's not bad. It's just it's just something that my my mind doesn't want to wrap its head around and uh and tomdale kind of uh, explained some of the reasoning why why they think templates are still a big win and i think that this was a really cool insight and it has to do with what w3c calls the rule of least power the rule of least power here is basically saying use the tool with the least amount of power to accomplish what you need 
And then, you know, he shows this and he explains what this kind of means. Uh, and it's, it's all about how you deal with abstractions. And then he shows uh, H, uh, some handlebars uh, snippets. And he says, this is the API for handlebars. And you can see that the only things that are really allowed in handlebars, there's like seven or eight things like block expressions, regular expressions, escaped expressions. Um, trying to think of the other ones. I can't think of like some comments and things. Yeah, comments. There's there's a few others, but it's really really like the the surface area of the of the handlebars uh, API is really really small. And what this facilitates because you're constrained in this way and this is this is this is all you get to do with the things you need to do and it's been compressed down so that this should be all you need for it to do its job. And what that facilitated was a whole a whole rewrite so Ember was able to re-architect how it, how it presents things w- with Glimmer, and that makes things way faster. So they were able to get this huge performance b- benefit, and users of the interface uh, don't have to rewrite their code. So Handlebars was able to re-implement these, these finite set of, of APIs, the service area that we talked about earlier, and re-implement those things without users having to be affected. And uh, with something like JSX, uh, by comparison, uh, since uh, you can embed JavaScript in it, the surface area of JSX is, you know, the surface area of JavaScript. So once again, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about JSX. I'm just saying that uh, this is kind of like the reasoning behind templating. And I thought it was really well presented. Uh, so I definitely would recommend this talk. Yeah, this, uh, this has implications that, um, you know, you can take away um, for anything, anything you do, any language, even designing APIs, designing you know, designing the objects in your system. Um, you know, you want you want to do uh, things with the least amount of power um, in order to to minimize that 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 interface that a, a user of your system or you know the user of your your you know your API your your objects um, get um, to only what they need to do the job. Because if you make the, the interface super robust and able to basically do anything, um, then it becomes really hard to change. Because now every time you want to make, change the underlying structure, you have to worry about every single concern of all the possibilities of ways of interacting with that system. Yeah. Basically means that anyone who's using the system when you re-architect has to consider each line of code. Right. And and you may you may have exposed something that no one uses, but because it was technically a public API, now you have to support it. You know, right. Maybe a super rare thing, but if you don't but you want to actually practice Simver, you can't break it. All right, so so now for now for the downsides of the talk. Oh yes, yes. This uh th- yeah, it's actually really funny. So Chase and I both watched this talk independently of one another. Uh, kind of within within just a few minutes, like thirty minutes or so, and uh, and I remember seeing this one slide and just being like, "What is going on with the slide?" And I just couldn't shake it. And I was like, "Okay, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. It's no big deal." And I and I just kept the talk going. And then Chase was like, "Hey, man, what do you think about this?" And he showed me the exact same line in one of the slides for set for showing how uh, how he set Tom Dale uh, has single quotes on the on the key and double quotes on the value and my mind just like stopped working. Just for, <laughs> I do for that. Like a, it just drove you bonkers. I just yeah. knew it. I, and you were, you, I knew you had already passed that point and you didn't say anything. And so I was just like, Hey, <laughs> yeah. As soon as I saw that, I was like, uh, uh, is no one going to say anything? Who, who commented on this? I was like reading the YouTube comments, <laughs> but yeah, it was a great talk. Definitely worth your time. Uh, if you get a second, we are going to post links to that. And I think we're going to also post a link to the rule of least power, which, um, is was mentioned in the talk and i think it's it's definitely worth a read so uh yeah take a look and that's all we have for this ember weekend i'm chase mccarthy and i'm jonathan jackson and we'll talk to you next weekend